Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in New Orleans to speak with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans about the struggling New Orleans team and what the future holds for Anthony Davis. We'll go to Washington to speak with Quinton Mayo of Locked On Wizards about the John Wall season-ending injury and what this means for Washington. And lastly, we go to San Antonio to speak with Jeff Garcia of Locked On Spurs about a San Antonio team that is uh, really putting together some big, big games of late and what that means for them as the rest of this season continues. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On NBA. This is your Monday edition, and I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I am the lead analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at redrock underscore b-ball. This is the uh, the last Monday show of the 2018 calendar year, so we're going to get into a few of the big issues around the NBA. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, Jake Madison, is here to talk about a team that I don't think, uh, I'm not sure everyone, Jake, would be aware that this team currently sits in the 14th seed in the Western Conference, five games under 500. Everything is uh, is not going well for a team who made it to the second round of the playoffs last season. We know there's been some injuries to deal with in, in New Orleans, but is, is it just that? Is it just the fact that Miritich and Peyton are out that are causing these problems? What's, what's, the, what's wrong with New Orleans? Yeah, there's there's a lot going on, and it's leading to New Orleans having a disappointing season so far for them. Certainly kind of not what they were expecting after you said making the second round of the playoffs last year and sweeping Portland in the first round. A lot of it is those injuries to starting point guard Alfred Payton to starting front court player Nikola Mirotic, a guy who spaces the court incredibly well for Anthony Davis and allows him to just kind of be his best player. When you're down two starters from your lineup and you've been without them for a couple of weeks now and they've only gotten five games out of Alfred Payton, it's been a bit of an issue, and then that creates kind of a lack of depth for New Orleans, kind of exacerbated by bad signings from years ago that they haven't been able to put maybe the depth and talent around Anthony Davis that you would have liked to have seen or that you would have expected to see for you know this team to do. When you have to rely on guys like Tim Frazier, Solomon Hill, Darius Miller to play significant roles for your franchise, you're probably not going to win you know, a, a ton of games. And I think you kind of look at the fact that you do have a guy like Julius Randle in there, but the Pelicans have struggled late in fourth quarters. And that's because maybe Randle and Anthony Davis don't quite fit the best, at least when it comes down to it, in late game situations. And I think that's just kind of part of the problems there. The defense hasn't played nearly as well as we were expecting it to be after they kind of rebounded and changed the way they played after the DeMarcus Cousins injury last season. And all of that's just kind of adding up to them being, as you said, 14th in the West. The the Randall situation is an interesting one because he's put up some pretty good numbers. But when Miritich had that first ankle sprain, then he returned. Alvin Gentry kept Randall in the starting lineup for reasons which I didn't agree with. Oh, he played well when Miritich is out, therefore we'll keep it. I don't like that fit either. Do you think that we've seen more of those fit issues 
um, you know, come to the fore over this last week or so that would necessitate Miritic coming back in and Randall moving back from a 34-minute-a-night role back to, say, a 25-26 minute-a-night role. That was when the team was playing better with more Miritic there. Or do you think that Gentry is going to remain stubborn and have that lineup that he was running out before that second Miritic injury? Uh, I think to start with, you'll see Randall stay in the starting lineup just for now until maybe Mirtic gets the conditioning back a little bit better. It's been an ankle injury, so you know that's going to kind of be lacking, and I'm sure they're going to kind of ease him back into the rotation a little bit more than putting him in the starting lineup. But certainly you want to see him back out there in the starting lineup. On this team that kind of lacks a lot of shooting when maybe Etuan Moore is your best shooter and he's slumping heavily right now, you know, it's tough to put both Julius Randle and Anthony Davis out there on the court. It creates an easy double team, sometimes triple teams in the case of Anthony Davis. So Miritic out there can at least space the court, draw a defender out and make things easier for Anthony Davis. And you've seen them struggle with this really late in fourth quarter over the past month or so there's some games where in the fourth quarter Anthony Davis is only taking four or five shots and that's because anytime he touches the ball there's two defenders on him and he's basically just got to pass out of it and have to rely on some of these other guys and that's where the lack of depth then kind of kicks in and creates another problem because he's passing the guys like Tim Frazier or Solomon Hill so I think getting Miritich back really fixes a handful of things or at least makes things a little bit easier and maybe lets the Pelicans close out some of these close games that they've been in a little bit better than they have so far. With the um, with, with the situation with, with this team and, and their record at the moment, they've won just four games on the road compared to 15 losses. Now, that is obviously a, a terrible record, and that's on par with exactly what the Phoenix Suns are on the road and similar to, I'd uh, say, Dallas and Minnesota, two really you know, other poor road teams. Is there any particular thing that you can isolate that the team, not that we're not asking you to say why are they bad on the road, but is there anything that you can isolate that they do differently on the road? Is there something different with their play style, their rotation, anything that's different that would make up for this stark difference here? Because they are 12 and 6 at home, which is obviously a 67% winning record. Yeah, and you know, they were one of the few teams in the NBA last year that also had a winning record on the road and at home. I think it was exactly even something like that. They were pretty good on on both sides of the ball there. I think this year, and this is something you've kind of seen a lot with a number of teams, is the schedule and the travel's been a little bit rougher. For, you know, it's one of those things where I think both the Clippers and the Jazz had it where they were either playing a game or on a plane every single day for a month or so. And I think that's kind of been a big part of the issue. And when you have a lack of depth and you're having to play guys, you know, in uh, uh, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, sometimes 40 plus minutes in every single game, you know, being on the road, not having kind of the comforts of home, your own bed, that kind of routine, I think can really wear on the team a little bit. So I, I guess that's really it. But in general, it's not like a stark difference in how they play. It's just they haven't been good. A lot of those have been close games that they were unable to at least close out. So it's not like they're getting the doors blown off them when they're on the road in opposing arena. So maybe that's kind of the silver lining you look for in this type of situation, that they've been competitive in those those games at least and then all it takes is maybe one or two made shots of a difference and turns that losing record into maybe a 500 record um it's it's been obviously frustrating especially of late with this team and the way they've been playing but i guess off the court there's been that distraction of the constant talk about anthony (laughs) davis and the trade i don't want to get into it too much here with you jake but the one question i do want to ask you is do you think there is any chance that the pelicans move davis this season 
No, not this season. And I think the earliest trade would happen is this offseason. I get why teams are inquiring now, but they've been inquiring for years. I can tell you that much. And every time Dell Demps, the general manager, has said, no, this is not happening. I don't think they have any interest in moving him this year. This is a team that still thinks they can make the playoffs and make some noise in the playoffs. And despite the, you know, the record right now, I think they feel that when they're healthy and they look to those first four games of the year where they started 4-0 and were just wrecking opponents left and right there uh that that's the team that they truly have and they're not going to give up on that just yet now if this offseason comes and then anthony davis says he's not going to sign the supermax or he's going to kind of look at his options i think that's when you'll look for them to explore trades and you know the way it kind of looks right now that might be likely but this season no he's going to be on the pelicans throughout the entire year well, let's hope that this team can turn it around. It's always fun seeing Anthony Davis and a guy, obviously an excellent player like Drew Holiday, be able to you know, show their stuff in the playoffs. And let's hope that the Miritich and Peyton come back and get this team turned around and keep that competitiveness in the Western Conference going. Of course, Jake's going to be covering all that for us over on Locked On Pelicans. Jake, thanks for coming on and discussing New Orleans with us. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Now let's bring in one of the hosts of the Locked On Wizards podcast. It is Quinton Mayo. We're talking about the uh, the news over the weekend, Quinton, that John Wall will be out for the next six to eight months undergoing some surgery on his troublesome heel. This Wizards season continues to go from bad to worse. They've already had that uh, that trade, which maybe they're looking to, to regret a little bit now, given this Wall injury news, Dwight Howard's out. Um, first of all, how do the Wizards cope now? They've already lost that backcourt depth. And the last time I had you on Locked on NBA, we were talking about you know, how they were going to cope with losing Austin Rivers and who was going to play that back, those backcourt minutes. Now Thomas Satsuransky slides in as the starting point guard. How are they going to be able to deal with this in that, uh, that backcourt? Or is this just yeah, pretty much give up on the season time? I mean, I definitely don't feel as though they're in give up on the season mode. Well, at least that's what they're preaching throughout the locker room. But um, let's just be realistic. The season is over. It's a lost season. Um, they're closer to uh, the Cavs and losses than they are to the with the seventh seed or the eighth seed um, Hornets. The season is, is is over. It's time to hang it up. I do believe it'll be uh, a positive to see Troy Brown Jr., which people have been begging to see him get more playing time. It'd be a great opportunity for the rookies to finally get some uh, some action out there with the main guys. But I guess it's back to the everybody eats error. I mean, the win over the the um, Hornets last night. Everybody played a decent amount of minutes, a lot of rotation, a lot of pieces, a lot of guys got in there, and they did their thing to scrape by the Hornets and Kimball Walker's 47. But um, this this season is over. I mean, whether John Wall was healthy um, or not, this this too many problems in the locker room, not a good chemistry uh, between these players. Scott Brooks' uh, coaching philosophy or lack thereof is not there. Um, ownership issues. I mean, everything you can think of is happening in that Wizards locker room. So, I mean – they're going to keep playing hard. Um, the guys that they have out there, they go hard. Bradley Bill, Thomas Bryant, Tomas Sadoransky, who was really good the last time John Wall got hurt. They're going to go hard, but, I mean, it's pretty clear this team's not making the postseason. Just quickly touch on Sadoransky. Last season, he started 30 games when Wall was out. Wall was out. He averaged uh, 10 points and almost six assists, but shot the ball fantastically, 51% from three. He was 90% from the line, 53% from the field overall. Put up some really, really strong numbers, and they're going to need him to be able to do that. But in terms of yeah, the, the backcourt, Bradley Beal's going to be the one driving it. But the, the query I have, or I guess the concern I have with Beal, Quinton, is that over the last seven games, he's been playing four 
40 minutes a night, and that was before mm-hmm. War was injured. War was injured for two of those games. So that that is a real concern in terms of workload in a, in a lost season. And Beal has had injury problems in the past. He's been good for the last two or three seasons with that. But that sort of workload is is a concern for the guy who, realistically, when we look at you know abilities and, and age and contract, he probably is the the key of this franchise now moving forward. Yeah, the the workload has been ridiculous. It's something that um, I've definitely been seeing since the beginning of the season. Um, Scott Brooks has been running a a small rotation, and it's a lot on those star guys, especially Wall and Bill, especially Bill. And um, him being probably the best player on that team right now, I mean, he's the healthiest right now. Him being the best, you don't want to give him those 40 minutes. I mean, he played the entire – he played 53 minutes in the triple overtime game against Phoenix – um, had that 40-point triple-double. And then the next night, he still played 30 minutes against the Indiana Pacers where they lost. They got blown out. So, I mean, it's definitely a concern, especially when you're looking at it. If you want to look at it both ways, if you want to win, um, Bill, he still can't be playing this, m- these many minutes. But look at him as a trade asset. Right now, there's been reports that he's he's looked upon as the best player to, to acquire from that Wizards team, a team that might be going into sell mode here pretty soon. So you don't want to uh, injure your trade assets. And then just for the future of this franchise, let's say you do find a way to get out of John Wall's contract and you build around Bill. I mean, he's already been hurt, like you said. You don't want to keep putting these 40-minute nights on him. And um, I don't know if Scott Brooks is is, is understanding that. He's, he said that he wants to make um, bring some different lineups in and, and uh, take some of that workload off of him, but we haven't seen any evidence of that. I would love to see Bill just get a couple rest days, just give him a break or just give him nice bringing us to play 20 minutes. I mean, it's a lost season, like you said. You've got to protect the future. And Scott Brooks is coaching like a guy whose job is on the line in terms of if he doesn't make the postseason, things will go wrong. But, I mean, you can't just keep riding Bradley Bill 40 minutes a night to go if you do squeak into the Eastern Conference playoffs as the eight seed to get blown out by, you know, the Rock, not the Rockets, the Raptors or Boston or um, the Milwaukee Bucks. It's just it's not it's not acceptable. Let's talk about a positive, Quinn, because there, there haven't been many for this team this season. Beal is one of them. But the play of Thomas <laughs> yeah. Bryant, I guess the the find of Thomas Bryant, I, I didn't like the move when the Lakers waived him. I thought it was smart for the Wizards to grab him. And eventually, it took a bit of time for him to jump ahead of Jason Smith, who was traded, and, and Yam Mahimi in that rotation. And now he is locked in as that starting center. But... The, the, I guess, fluctuation in minutes with him is a little bit con- concerning. He plays 30 minutes when Markeith's out. He plays like 15 minutes when Morris is there. What have you seen from Bryant that makes you, or maybe you don't think this, but what, what can you can you see him as a you know, 25, 26 minute a night type of starter on this team who they could potentially build around if they don't have Dwight Howard back this season and Dwight's not there long term? Is he a potential starting center for this team long term? I mean, long term, no. I w- I'm assuming that Dwight Howard will opt into his contract next year because he has that option with the contract he just signed. But I definitely believe he's a guy that should be playing more minutes. Like you said, he's been extra productive. And one thing Coach Brooks has been preaching is effort, high-intensity, defensive focus. And that's everything that you get from Thomas Bryant, as well as a smart young guy on the offensive end. Um, I love what he's doing. I think somebody asked me on Twitter the other day, what do I like from him? He reminds me like a really young and obviously a lesser version of Dwight Howard. Um, yep. He's very athletic. He's high energy. He plays great defense. Um, and he can also shoot. And he's trying to – he doesn't shoot much, but he has the ability to develop a jump shot. And he already has sort of a jump shot where he can um, mold into more of a modern big man. So um, he's definitely better than Jan Mahimi, which is something that we should not be seeing um, on the floor. If Thomas Bryant at um, – is playing this well. Yamaimi does not 
need to be on the court. I mean, it's just that simple. But I would love to see Thomas Bryant come back to this team. Even after the season is over, you can give him a little bit of money. He's not a guy that's going to get a lot of attention elsewhere. This is the one positive that you don't want to mess up because he puts his, his all on the line every single night. And that's one thing that has been lacking the entire season from the Wizards, um, from other players. But Bradley Bill gives it everything he has every single night. And Thomas Bryant is the other guy. He gives it everything he has every single night. And he's been a bright spot. And fans love him. Coaches love him, and I think he'll stay around for some time. He was excellent in the G League last season, playing for the South Bay Lakers. Talk about him as a shooter. He took five three-point attempts per game in the G League last season, hit almost two of them at 36%. So he's a guy who can up the volume and still hit them at a pretty strong rate. Block shots, scores, was a real beast. I think he was an all-G League first-team guy last season, and he is really starting to show that now. But you're right, he, he... we could, I guess, stand to see a bit more in terms of attempts from three, but he is still working on that, and he can be a really dangerous player. So the Wizards have uncovered something there. One of, uh, I guess, maybe one of um, the uh, the GM's best uh, best moves over the last couple of seasons was grabbing him off waivers. This team is struggling. One last thing with you, Quinton. Uh, Otto mm-hmm. Porter, what's the latest on his injury? Um, so he did go through an extensive uh, high-intensity workout a couple nights ago before the, um, what was that game? I think it was before the Hornets. He's he's cleared to play. He was cleared to play last night against the Hornets. He just did not. So he will be back um, probably sometime this week. Um, this team doesn't do good. I mean, people kill Otto because, you know, he doesn't have the points per game and the, the traditional stats that people look at. But, I mean, if you look at the record without Otto Porter, I think it's like 2-11 and 11 without Otto Porter and um, for starting for the Wizards. So, I mean, he's a key. He hasn't – he's definitely been a lesser player um, this season. But he's on track to come back soon, and uh, they need all the help they can get especially when you're losing John Wall for the season. You just traded away Kelly Oubre and Austin Rivers. Dwight Howard's now playing. Um, it's it's going to be key to see what he can bring. And Markeith is out. He's going to see a specialist for his neck soon. So to bring just a guy back, a body back, they need as many bodies as they can to compete. Um, like I said, this team is not going to the postseason. It looks pretty much over. But you want to see everything you can get, especially out of a guy that you paid $106 million to in Auto Porter. See if you can revive his career and see if you can big him up a little bit so you can trade him for some other assets um, And as this team should be going into a rebuild here soon. Well, it is going to be interesting to see how these young guys develop over the, the rest of this season with that wall injury news. Quinton will have that covered for you over on Locked On Wizards. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA again, Quinton. Anytime. Now let's go to San Antonio to speak with the host of the Locked On Spurs podcast, Jeff Garcia. We're here to talk about a San Antonio Spurs team that they, they were struggling maybe about a month ago, Jeff, and people were, were quick to write them off. But over the last little period of time, the Spurs have really started to put together some strong performances. And I think that's gone under the radar a little bit. Some of their, out of their last eight games, have had four wins of over 25 points during that time. They're just coming off a, a big win over the Clippers on the road as well. I guess the, the first question I have for you regarding this San Antonio team is is what changed? Like what flipped the script here on this team to make them you know, start to put together games and performances like we're used to seeing from Popovich teams of old? You, you know, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I want to start off with that loss versus Chicago at home. They had a 20-plus lead, and they blew it in the second half to Chicago, no less. I think the team... Uh, from that game moving forward until now, really took it under you know their their minds and their their wings to say you know what this is not us, this is not a Spurs team that blows leads the way they did or Chicago, and from that point forward it's been a complete turnaround defensively as where it began uh, for San Antonio you're looking at um uh, you know a string of six 
six games in a row of holding teams under 100 points. Uh, It's been phenomenal what the Spurs team has done uh, on the defensive end. But a lot of that, and especially something that has been going under the radar, is the little things. Uh, I believe they're either one or two in the league when it comes to free throw percentage. They make their free throws. Maybe not against Denver uh, on on the road with a slim loss, but nevertheless, as a whole, this season, they're knocking down their free throws. Number and, th- and right now they're on pace to break their franchise record at free throw percentage, um, you know, this season. Second, they're among the league leaders in minimal turnovers, so they're valuing the ball defensively. As I mentioned, they turned it up a notch. You're seeing guys like Jakob Pertl step up on the offensive rebounding, and uh, he's doing wonders, giving the Spurs second, third chance opportunities, and everybody's contributing from. DeMar DeRozan to the win over the Clippers, LaMarcus Aldridge's 38-point performance, even down into the bench. And I know we're going to touch touch on the bench a little bit, but I think both ends of court, everybody's playing well. Defensively, guys are stepping up. Even a guy like DeMar DeRozan, um, who is, who's been mentioning the defensive mantra since that Chicago loss. Since that loss till now, in every pre- or post-game media session, he is uttering the words like defense. We got to get back on the same page. We can pick it up defensively. He brings it up. So that tells me the team is trying to buy into that and has been paying off. The other interesting thing with, with this team, like this turnaround again, a little bit under the radar, but there's a team that, that lost their starting point guard, DeJounte Murray, who everyone was expecting mm-hmm. to have a, a big season, you know, coming in as potential most improved candidate. He'd be looking for all-star type of numbers or all-defensive point guard, and they lost him without the torn ACL. And then their supposed point, starting point guard, a replacement starting point guard, Derek White, hurt himself in the preseason as well. Now, White mm-hmm. is back. He's been in and out of the lineup with him starting and then sometimes Dante Cunningham starting. But at the moment, Jeff, it does appear that Derek White is solidified there as that starting point guard. His minutes are pushing back up and he's starting to do the things that I know I liked him for and I'm pretty sure that you liked him for, the defensive mm-hmm. uh, awareness, the, oh, yeah. the solid efficiency, the good shot selection, the distributing for his teammates. I think over the last week to maybe 10 days, we've really seen Derek White feel more comfortable in that starting role. Is that how you're seeing it for someone who's watching these games you know, quite a bit more closely than I am? Yeah, you look, he, after Murray went out with injury and gone for the rest of the season, he was the presumptive new starting point guard. Well, then, as you mentioned, he got um, derailed with a, uh, with an injury. He's back. He When he came back, he had a good showing in his second game. You forgave him for the first game back. It, it wasn't his best uh, game of the season. But in the second game, 14 points, he looked like the guy that the Spurs are going to need to fill in for Murray. And then he had a good stretch of games where he just fell out of the rotation, wasn't really playing well when he got minutes, but then he got the minutes recently, and he's turned it up a notch, and that's just saying it lightly. You take it the last game, uh, I believe, versus the Clippers. I'm sorry, against Denver uh, this month, um, six steals. That's a career high, and that was at Denver. Uh, So you're looking at what he did in the last game versus the Clippers, 12 points, seven rebounds, four assists, two steals, and he did all that in 30 minutes. He might be the Spurs' best individual defender out on the perimeter. Um, you know, obviously Murray has a lot to say about that when he gets back. But as of right now, White may be at Bryn Forbes. I commend him for what he does from the three-point line, his offense, and I give him a good old college try pat on the back because he really does try to get it done defensively. 
But White really has taken the mantle in that department. Uh, so he's a big guard. Um, he's he, he has some size to him. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge recently spoke after the game versus uh, the LAC, the Clippers. And in a nutshell, he's advocating that White needs to remain the starting point guard moving forward. He's catching on with the teammates. They're acknowledging what he can do. DeMar DeRozan recently uh, spoke on White saying he just knows when to come through with the big play. So his basketball IQ is rounding into form. This is a kid that could be a solid, solid backup point guard once Murray comes back next season. But as of right now, he's looking really good in the Spurs. You got to give it to them, too. They believed in their system of grooming him. He spent a lot of time in the G League prior to this season. And he spent a lot of time with the Spurs summer league teams in the past two summers. That slow process is uh, paying off this season for White and San Antonio. You mentioned Bryn Forbes, who was starting at point guard for a stretch. He's clearly not a point guard, but he's settled in now yeah. into that star starting shooting guard role with DeMar DeRozan pushing up to the small forward spot. And that seems to be working out well. But what it's meaning also, Jeff, is that there's a squeeze on the big man minutes. LaMarcus Aldridge is starting at center. And Pau Gasol, who's back from his uh, foot issue now, has been healthy, but a, a healthy DMPCD the last two games. Do you think that that's a conditioning thing? Or do you think that it's going to be hard for Gasol to find himself as an every night part of the rotation now? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, uh, on one side, you have the conditioning factor. If there's only so much they can do in practice, uh, behind the scenes, rehab, but then there's game day situations, uh, 48 minutes of basketball. Like he's not going to play an X amount of an excessive amount of minutes. I think that is now being shifted to Pirtle. I think Pirtle is going to start getting those minutes from Powell. But they're going to take their time with Powell Gasol and his return to the court. Um, I, the Spurs have a few games at home coming up, three games. I wouldn't be surprised to see Powell start getting those minutes. Uh, he's older. You know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. So they're going to really take their time bringing him back and look. You know, why not just ease him back? Pirtle has been doing great for um, for the Spurs in the middle. I mentioned his offensive rebounding. He runs the pick and roll so well. He can rebound. He's not afraid to bang. He's younger than Powell. And he's fitting in well with LaMarcus Aldridge and helping LMA get away from the five spot, something that he, in his career, has been very vocal about, that he does not like to play the center spot. So I think... Powell, they're going to bring him back slowly. Uh, he's a veteran guy. He's a stabilizing force on that bench in the locker room, maybe in situations and games uh, moving forward if it gets real tight and they need a presence, uh, somebody who's been there, done that, why not insert Powell? I don't think they're going to be in any rush to bring him back. Uh, you may see him start going 15, 18 minutes, slowly but surely, maybe eking it up to 20 but there's something that he possesses that pa that Pirtle doesn't outside of his experience, and that's the three ball. Pirtle cannot shoot the ball, but but Palcasol can, and I think the Spurs see a value in that, and I think they'll definitely use him as the season goes on in that department to stretch uh, opposing teams' defense. So he's still valuable, but I think they're going to take their time and not rush him back. Well, I guess playoffs are back on the uh, on the cards now for the San Antonio Spurs as they sit currently in the ninth seed just behind the Sacramento Kings. So, Jeff, we'll have all that mm -hmm. covered for you over on Locked On Spurs. Jeff, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Not a problem.
That does it for another episode of Locked On NBA for this week on the last Monday edition for the 2018 portion of this season. Go follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and of course the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NBA Net on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you could throw us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that would be fantastic. Make sure you're subscribing so you never miss an episode as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.